Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Low Blow Booking Podcast. My name is Derek Cornett, and we are coming at you live and in living color here on your mobile listening devices, checking us out through iTunes, checking us out through Podbean. Uh, continue to expand the Low Blow Booking Podcast Network. Check us out on Facebook. Um, you know, Look for us on Twitter. We're doing a lot of great things, and I'm really excited about the episode that we're coming at uh, you with tonight. Um, I'm joined with my very good friend, Dave Hall, all the way across the world. Dave, how is Australia today? Yeah, it's uh, it's not too bad. A little bit cool today, a bit overcast. Uh, we're just coming towards the end of the summer period, getting ready ready for temperatures to cool down. So, but not too bad. Nice. Uh, you know, Dave. Uh, the the nice thing about what we've got going on here is we're we're constantly looking for fun ideas, and uh, one of the things that you and I have talked about is is coming back to things every once in a great while, and uh, that's what our episode is here tonight. Um, as we come to you here uh, in the midst of March Madness, Dave, do you have any idea what March Madness means? Uh, my understanding, and only because I you know got you know sort of involved with place to be podcast. Facebook pages and all that. It's something to do with it. It's major college basketball tournament, I think. Absolutely. It is It is college basketball season in uh, the United States right now, but it's also college wrestling season. Uh, the finals are going on. Uh, we've got the semifinals today, and um, the finals are going to be tomorrow. It's it's a really tight race. It's, a, it's always fun to watch, and to actually see wrestling get press. Um, this is, of course, amateur college wrestling. To get press on ESPN is a great thing. Um, is there any kind of collegiate uh, sports that, you know, get that kind of recognition in Australia? Uh, not really. I mean, it's very different over here. We don't have, we don't have that college level or that, that intermediate level um, sports style. In Australia, sports very much based on age groups in where you grow up. So you, you don't play for your high school or your – I mean, you do play school sports, but you don't play – for your high school and then for a college and then move pro, you, you work up through junior age levels, like under under 12-year-olds, under 13-year-olds, and you work your way through to eight, under 18s, and then you move into the sort of the pro level. So we don't have that that sort of sport competition in that way over here. And the only college sport that really gets uh, – I mean, you get a bit of the college football and college basketball gets some coverage on uh, – we've got you know ESPN over here in Australia, but – you know, it, it doesn't nowhere near the interest levels. College football gets a little bit of interest because you get some Aussie guys playing, and and if an Aussie guy ends up playing college basketball, that'll get a bit of interest. But yeah, it's not not nowhere near anything that would get a lot of viewing over here. I'd love to sit down at some point and you know even just to talk. And if we did record it, I think people would be interested to see um, the difference between um, something that's that small that we take for granted. Uh, here in the United States compared to something that you have over uh, in Australia and, you know, um, just how different those things can be. Um, I think that'd be an interesting, uh, you know, thing to take a look at because um, there's a lot of fun differences, but there's a lot of similarities, especially um, like you talk about with the the coverage and things like that and how it's covered and, um, you know, just some fun conversation that um, sometimes people in America have a little closed-minded towards and they don't understand all the fun things that we have here um, and our accessibility uh, to such networks of, you know, things like pro wrestling, the WWE network, um, you know, ESPN on demand, all those things where we can just pick up and watch sports at any point in time that we want. Yeah, it is very different, Danny. It'd be good, make a good discussion sometime, just the, just the differences in how sport is viewed. Um, I mean, we're, we're a very big sporting country, but the way approaches to sport are happening over here is probably very different. 
Absolutely. I, I think it, I think it'd be great. Um, but, uh, you know, Dave, tonight, you and I have got something on the plate that uh, we've been cooking up for some time. It is the second edition of the Summit. Now, if we remember, we went back to 1989 and we said we are only going to use December rosters. Anybody that wrestled for a company in December um, in this little project where we go WCW NWA versus WWF. Now, it is actually chronologically at this time, the NWA has transformed into WCW um, legally, but I don't think that they're um, constantly, well, I guess they are letting themselves be known here in 1990, so, um, you know, I'm making the transformation, I'm, I'm taking the WCW and uh, the defeat that we took in 1989, and I'm coming back really strong in um, a very interesting December of 1990 uh, coming at the WWF. Um, that you'll be taking over as you have the the one zero advantage going in in the night. Uh, it should be very exciting. I mean, we've we've, we've had a bit of fun, and and the the summit cards I, f- I find really interesting because you know I think every wrestling fan has grown up, no matter what era you grew up in. Uh, old school wrestling fans always had that. What would happen if WWF wrestled WCW? If if the territories combined together to take on some whatever it was you always had that desire ECW versus WCW versus WWF and and I really enjoy the opportunity to just you know have a bit of fun with this and look at what might have happened if if they'd really gotten together and do it and and I think you know WWF got one up in the in the in the first uh the first time we did the summit I'll be interested to see if we can do it again all right Dave before we get started let's just go through kind of the landscape of the companies at this time um, with uh, WCW, uh, we just came off a pretty good Halloween Havoc that's kind of underrated because of the, the main event and how poorly executed the um, fake sting, uh, double sting angle went with Barry Windham. Um, I think that you've got a lot of good things coming up, but they're not utilizing things always the right way. We're in the midst of the Black Scorpion um, angle, which I think you and I at some point could look at and... Um, I'd always want to put it out there. Uh, There's two names that could have possibly been the Black Scorpion um, that ended up obviously not being it. And the two two ways I would like to always have seen it go down were, one, what if it was Ravishing Rick Rude, or what if it was the Great Muda? That, that 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 certainly uh, that would certainly be a very interesting conversation. I know I know those guys never really would have been in the mix yet. Time frames that certainly would fit for Rick Rude to be considered by the time they do the the unveiling of it, and you know they did the Halloween Phantom nine months after that. So that would have made a very interesting uh, scenario to to see Rude in there. Um, I think that that creates uh, you know, a strong. A strong flavour. The only the only down the only problem I see with that is uh, trying to tie Rude and Sting together with someone from Sting's past. Yeah, which is what they always sort of. Well, I, I think over. there's ways that we could. I mean, if we really went back and looked at the backlogs, I'm sure there there's something that these guys would have had in common. Um, or you know, if, if we're going to do that, maybe. I don't. I, I think there's ways around it. I, I really do. I think that we could have done something, um, you know, to do that. And I think Paulie Dangerously even says it at Starcade 1990. He thought that Muda was the guy, you know. And I thought it was just a great line because Muda could have been 
um, a great black scorpion or a black dragon or something like that, you know, um, to really put that angle over. Uh, Muda would have been Muda would have fit the part really well, especially with the history they had in in 1989. And you know, seeing Muda come to try and take the title from Sting, that I really think that could have been a, a real goer, and it would have been some good matches. And the unveiling, I don't think, would have been a letdown. Nope, not at all. Um, so that kind of goes through what we've got here. Sting's our world champion. Lex Luger is the United States champion. Um, both guys are baby faces at this time. But both of them, you can sense, are kind of on a collision course for one another. Um, you know that Luger feels he is the main guy, but he's not getting main guy push. Um, and I think that's the turmoil that's going on in WCW. While over in the WWF, you actually have that, at one point, secondary guy is now the main guy. And the main guy is kind of the secondary guy um, with the Ultimate Warrior Hulk Hogan dynamic. Um, anything else that you'd like to cover over there? No, I think, I mean, you, you, you've got, it's an interesting time period because, I mean, as everyone knows, as anyone who, who loves wrestling at this time period knows, you, you've got a real, it's it's really a bit of a, a an interesting situation for WF. They've been on this hot run for so long, but the Warriors title reign was really starting to fizzle at this point. They, they really, even though he was the top guy, they had really switched it back to start focusing again on Hogan. Hogan had had the main event spot at SummerSlam. Hogan had come out looking probably slightly better at the um, at the Survivor Series, and Warrior was stuck doing six man matches with Legion of Doom against Demolition, and there was no one really, you know, no one really helping him be pushed to the top. So it, it, it's you've got WCW who who stock. It's they've been in an interesting situation, but certainly there are positives there. WWF seem to be slightly sliding at this time period, and and um, it, it, it's it's a really weird situation. Yeah, I think one thing that you and I could take a look at at some point is that world title run of the Warrior and say, all right, let's start at WrestleMania six. Everything that happened there happened there. How do we give him three or four contenders? Um, three or four real contenders for that title, um, set up some matches, and I just don't believe the the garbage that he had to go through. Um, I don't think he got a fair shake, um, and I'm not the biggest Warrior fan in the world, but um, it would have been nice to see, you know, there's a there's a plethora of guys that could have been used in that spot, um, but they didn't do it, and um, that would be something that we could look at down the road, but um, we've got so many fun ideas coming up. Um, one thing I do want to plug real quick before we get going, I've been talking with Martin Casaus, who, if uh, you guys remember, was on the last edition of Tough Enough. Martin wrestles out of UCW out in um, out in uh, Utah, and he is a guy um, who, in Tough Enough, actually couldn't continue because he broke his ankle. Um, and uh, I've been in talks with Martin to uh, come on the Low Blow Booking podcast and kind of tell us his story and, um, you know, talk about what it would look like. Uh, how do you introduce somebody from Tough Enough into the WWE? And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting that thing hammered down so uh, we can, you know, give his story out to the Low Blow Booking podcast followers and, uh, you know, um, talk with Martin about, you know, his most recent WWE tryout. Um, how he's doing right now with Lucha Underground, um, just a lot of great stuff that he's got going on in his career. Yeah, it should be that should be really interesting. I think uh, it'd be really good. It'd be really interesting to see get his take on you know what we what we didn't see that happens in Tough Enough, and and just 
how maybe even how he viewed his progress prior to the injury because I remember watching that series and thinking that he was going to win the whole thing. That he really seemed to be, you know, he really seemed to be one of the favourites, someone that, that Stone Cold and the trainers had a high opinion of. And when he went down and got hurt, it it, it really I, th- I think it was it was a big big change. And um, I'd be interested to see his views on how he perceived his progress. And um, and we all know that the tough enough guys never really seem to get the right introduction or the or the, the the right go when they first come to the main roster. So it'd be interesting to see his thoughts on what could have been done to, to help someone be introduced correctly. I think it'd be very interesting. Absolutely. And I'm going to work on uh, hammering that down for everybody and um, getting that podcast out. And Martin and I have a connection through my friend Paul, uh, who re- who's wrestled out there. I've got to wrestle with uh, with that company before. It's been a, a, a good opportunity for me. So um, looking forward to that in the future. And of, of course, we've got a plethora of other fun ideas and um, things that just come to our head. And let's say, hey, let's see what we can do and, and do some pre-production and put this thing together. And uh, that's where we're at right now. So Dave, without further ado, it is December. Uh, let's say it's Christmas night. And uh, December 25th, 1990, and we are headed to the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago for this grand event, the Summit 1990, um, WWF versus WCW. Now, one of the things that you and I talked about with this show compared to our last show in which we did uh, Survivor Series matches and a War Games match, this card is going to be kind of a parade of champions, and then we're going to actually have a Royal Rumble and then we are going to have a main event of all main events. Um, perhaps what many would consider the battle of the decade. Um, so let's go through real quick. Let's run through uh, the preliminary part of the card. Um, you know, not preliminary anywhere because these are definitely showcase uh, marquee matches. Um, but we're going to start things out with the television champion at this time. Is Just, just of- before you do that, Derek, we, yeah. you forgot to mention who our commentary team oh, are. Of course. How could I forget that? Um, in the booth tonight... We will be having Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon, along with uh, Bobby Heenan and Paulie Dangerously cycling through, um, you know, coming in here and there and, and giving their take on things. Uh, mean Gene Oakland is in the back, um, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing, especially some of the promos. And we're going to have a little special segment um, where we see some of the guys pick their numbers, and uh, you never know what's going to happen when all these things come together. So. Um, I think that we've covered all our bases. Are we ready to head for the first match? I think we are. All right. So coming out first from the WCW is none other than the television champion at this time, the Z-Man, Tom Zink. And he will be facing, from the WWF, his former tag team partner, the model, Rick Martell, who has definitely gone over a makeover, if you will, from the last time that these two guys were together. I think I think this is um, this is a, a potentially really exciting match to start with. Now, I mean, we've got Tom Zank, who's the TV champ. We looked at it and we went, "There's no, there's no one at that level. What do you do? Where do you bring in?" And, and it really dawned on both of us the opportunity to have Rick Martel come in and take on the man who left him high and dry in 1987. Now we're talking three years, but I really see this as an opportunity. I can see Jim Ross really playing up the fact that Tom Zank left. Rick Martel left the Can-Am connection and even you could play into the fact that this led to a lot of trust issues and you could play up that the reason that Rick Martel turned on Tito Santana 
at WrestleMania five was because he didn't trust his partners after Tom Zenk left him. And so almost putting the whole development of the model gimmick and, and Rick Martel's heel turn on the shoulders of Tom Zenk's leaving him. I think it would create a really strong backstory and these guys can go in the ring. I think Martel in, in at the end of 1990, he could still go and, and I think being maybe breaking the shackles of the WWF style and allowing him to use some of his technical skills and do some counter-wrestling with Zenk would be a fantastic match. Oh, and I think it's such a hot opener. Um, I don't think Zenk gets enough credit for his in-ring work. Um, as a character, he was never that great, I'll be honest. But um, as a, a worker in the ring, I thought he knew what he was doing, and he could really put together some fun matches when he needed to. And, uh, you know, this would be definitely a showcase for him to, to go out there. And um, we actually have Rick Martell getting the big win over Tom Zink. Um, I think there's obviously some chicanery any time that Rick Martell is going to win uh, clean over a guy who's got some credibility like Zink. Um but I definitely think it's a fun opener to get the crowd going. And, and in Chicago, you know that they would be eating up Rick Martell pretty easily. Yeah, and I think I, I see Martell, Martell sort of really coming in very hot, very angry, very aggressive, um, you know, cheating left and right. Zink starting to overcome it, maybe hitting some, some, some quick, you know, drop kicks and, you know, possibly even sending Martell to the floor. Then Martell starts to grind Zink and starts to really work that body part, you get the hot comeback, and then, you know, it could be brass knucks, it could be the the, the, the arrogance yep. can, whatever it is, and Martel pops him one and, and steals the win, and then the arrogance afterwards, you could just picture him prancing around the ring and really rubbing it in that he is the best. You know, he, he might even get, like, you know, not so much a post-match interview, but you could hear him saying, I proved it to Santana, now I've proved it to you, Zank. I am the best. I've always been the better man. Absolutely, and uh, um, it's just a fun opportunity for uh, the model to get a big singles win because, oh, man, he's a guy, if would have been used correctly, he's a guy that could have jumped up to the upper mid-card um, at this point and, and done some fun things. Um, and I guess at this point he was enthralled with a feud with Jake Roberts, but um, you know to to do more with with what he's got, I, I think that would have definitely been a uh, a marquee thing for the WWF to be doing at that time. Yeah, I think I think he 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 suffered from the fact that there was always just one or two guys just slightly ahead of him, and he couldn't bust past them. Rick Rude in '89, Perfect was the Intercontinental Champion in 1990. There was always just that one guy just slightly ahead of him for whatever reason, and I think that in the end he he got he just got typecast into into a spot and was never able to push past it. But he always had the ability to do more. Well, Rick Martell, if you're listening, we're giving you credit here on the Low Blow Booking Podcast, and and you definitely started things out. The WWF jumps up one to nothing right here in the beginning. Um, WCW is going to have to rally the troops, and what better way than to send out? The boys from Bay City, Michigan, the United States Tag Team Champions, Rick and Scott, the Steiner Brothers, um, two guys who have been on a uh, on a tear in WCW um, after a great match with the Nasty Boys at Halloween Havoc. Uh, they had a pretty good December. Um, they're going to be taking on uh, a team, Dave, would you say is vastly underrated? 
I, I absolutely <laughs> believe that. I, this, they, they were one of my favorites when they were around, even though they weren't around for, for very long. Yep. And that is going to be managed by the Doctor Style Slick, none other than Powering Glory, Paul Roma, and Hercules. Um, Dave, how do you see this match starting off, and, and how do you see the, all the characters working together? I, I, I really picture this. Uh, I mean, the Steiners, the Steiners uh, have got that that power, that that fast power style match, and so you know, I can see them really sort of matching up to Herc, and you know, maybe the the sort of the shoulder blocks. No one wants to go to the ground. You know, sort of power for power. You could have you know, you could have Gorilla Monsoon sort of running the question. You know. Who is actually more powerful, Rick Steiner or, or, or Hercules? You know, who, who can tell? Um, Steiner's probably start off strong and fast like they always do. And then he, I, I think Paul Roma's the one who's probably his, his extra speed will allow him to, to, to hit someone from behind, to break up a move, to do something really sneaky that's going to turn the tide of that match for a while. Slick on the outside, helping them out and, and 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 they're gonna they're gonna do some grinding. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna you know, sort of you know Herc's gonna use his power. Roma's gonna come off the ropes and and you know they're really gonna try and set up very similar to the way they worked the Rockers, I think, because well, obviously that was the you know, what they'd really been doing at that point. Mm-hmm. And then you get the comeback. The Steiners are not gonna be as easy to beat. No, absolutely not. And uh, what Paul Roma has always done best is lay on his back and look up at the stars and. Um, I think that this is an opportunity for uh, uh, a clean win with the Frankensteiner. Um, you know, just to just to put over the fact that this is going to be a legit show tonight, and we're not going to have screw job over screw job. And um, the Steiners walk away with a big victory to tie things back up one to one, defeating Power and Glory, who definitely give them a great run for their money. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you know, the end of this match is going to be a bit of fun. I could actually see you could actually I could actually picture Herc trying to set up uh, the powerplex on Rick Steiner and and maybe Rick Steiner actually pushing him off oh. and and Roma actually hitting a, a, the body press on Hercules rather than you know hitting you know uh, Steiner and then Scotty comes in and house on fire hits that hits that Frankensteiner and it's all, it's all over. What okay? Uh, you just gave me a great idea. What if we have um, Hercules setting up for the powerplex. Um, he's got Rick Steiner over in the corner. Um, you get Scott to run over and push Roma off the ropes. He comes over behind Hercules and grabs him in the electric chair, and that sets up the top rope bulldog. Oh, now that that would be that would be a that would be a good that would be a good picture. I could really that would work really well, and uh, it really plays into both teams finishing moves i think that would be a really good finish absolutely and it's a flash finish too you know it's not something it's not something super clean it's just like hey oh my gosh out of nowhere the the steiners who have been together longer they're brothers they're a lot of the better team um they come up with a big victory here um and you could and yeah and you could picture jim ross putting over that the, the steiners have scouted power and glory and they were ready for that move and they they'd already worked out how they could how they could counter it. So I yep. think that would, that would really play into the commentary as well. And then, of course, we could always have Gorilla Monsoon put over how Slick is the one that cost him the match. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> use, his, uh, use his humor um, at this point. And um, I think at this point in the card, we're going to take a little bit of a break and look at um, some of the guys that are going to be entering the Royal Rumble later on. Um, and they're going to go in the back and they're going to pick their numbers. Um, and uh, one of the one of the big angles that we have is uh, the horsemen 
are going to have three members in um, the Royal Rumble at this time, and we're going to start to hear uh, Monsoon and Ross put together some of the names. Uh, Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, and Sid Vicious all um, drawing numbers, and they seem to be a little bit pleased with who they've got. Um, we look down and we see a guy like Stan Hansen. He picks out his number and just throws it to the ground. Um, and then, of course, our uh, all-time favorite, Eligante, uh, is with his little buddy, Brian Pillman, and uh, Eligante picks his number, and uh, he has no idea what it means because he can't read or speak English. So uh, Brian Pillman helps him out. And then our last pick is uh, the Great Muda. And the Great Muda picks his number, but he's surprised by somebody else. Uh, Dave, who walks into the scene at this point? I, I think at this point we, we have walking up behind him uh, our good friend from the WF, the Million Dollar Man. Uh, Debiasi is uh, is obviously looking to make the most of any opportunity he can. Uh, we all know that in the WWF at the beginning of 1990, he had been forced in this situation with extra security to to choose an, a number, and the Gestapoism of the of Jack Tunney meant that Debiasi ended up with an early number, and so Debiasi is looking to spread some money, I think. And and here's the great Muda, our visitor from Japan and maybe also struggles with the English a little bit. And I think DBRC is going to take him aside and, and have a bit of a conversation with him. The, the cameras sort of pick up, you know, DBRC maybe putting his arm around around uh, Muda, Virgil standing next to him, flashing the, flashing the greenbacks, and uh, and Muda sort of looking at the money and looking at DBRC. And then they sort of walk off, off, off camera. And uh, we don't know what's fully going on, but it's certainly the impression being that DBRC is looking to buy a number. Anybody else from the uh, WWF picking numbers that uh, give a worthwhile reaction? Oh, look! I think I think you've always got the ability. You've got Jake the Snake always gives a good uh, a good reaction when he picks a number. You know, he'll pick that number out. He'll he'll give he'll give that little insight. You know, it's you know uh, it, it could have been worse. You know, I, I'm you know, but you know, no, no one should underestimate me. I think you know you, you could have uh, you could have big earthquake coming in the ring and Jimmy Hart maybe. You know, standing with him and Earthquake picking out a number and going, look, you know, Earth, you know, Jimmy Hart going, look, it doesn't matter. You're so big. No one's going to stop you. You're going to win this. It doesn't matter what number you pick. You know, I, I could see a couple of those guys, uh, you know, giving a good good put over. Nice. Um, well, we cut back out to the ring, and our next contest um, is uh, a battle over two secondary champions. Uh, the United States champion from the NWA uh, WCW, uh, the total package, Lex Luger who at this point, um, some could say, was in his, uh, and I think his peak physical prime. I thought he looked uh, great during this this run that he was in. Um, And he is taking on a guy, uh, you know, who is absolutely perfect, and that is the Intercontinental Champion, uh, Mr. Perfect. Now, um, to to clear things up, I know that we have some some data timeline issues with the Intercontinental Championship and the Texas Tornado, but I think we're both under agreement that um, at this point, Mr. Perfect is the guy that we're running with as the Intercontinental Champion. Yeah, I mean, we know that the title belt had changed hands. Whether I can't remember exactly when they showed that match on television, uh, when uh, when they actually announced that Perfect had won the title. But I mean, we know that by the time the rum the real WWF Rumble comes around at the beginning of nineteen ninety, Perfect's been has the, t- the title back, and you know, I'm pretty certain he had it back 
in his possession before the end of the year. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, it's really the best way to run. I think I think a, a match between Luger and Perfect would, 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 at this stage, would be good. I know when they met in the WWE years later, I think Luger's injuries were still an impact there, and he hadn't really recovered properly. He wasn't in best condition. But Luger in 1990 was putting on good matches, and up against Perfect, Luger is a face throwing Perfect around. That is going to be... Uh, a really good match rather than the face perfect trying to throw Luger around, which doesn't work. No, not at all. And um, the nice thing about it is that uh, the selling on Mr. Perfect's behalf is going to be great. And, um, you know, they're going to be talking about, uh, you know, how Luger is just setting up the back and and looking to destroy um, what Perfect can use on his offense and um, always looking for that torture rack. Um, This is one I see... If we want to do it, this is a good time to see um, uh, Lex Luger kick out of the perfect plex because he is so strong and powerful. Yeah, look, I think at this time, at, at this time of Perfect's career, I don't think that matters anymore. Uh, a couple of people have kicked out of it by now. Obviously, uh, most notable being Hulk Hogan ruining everything twelve months earlier for for Perfect, and I think. You, you were referencing a, a touch earlier about looking at the Warriors, the Warriors run. I think one of the things I, I want to just touch on this now. One of the things I think hurt the Warrior was the fact that Hogan killed Perfect at the beginning of 1990. Um, if and Mr. Perfect went, <laughs> uh, got through to WrestleMania being unbeaten, would have made a great series of matches with the Warrior and a great first up opponent for him. So, but by now, Perfect, you know, he's had that. He's had that finisher kicked out of a couple of times. I think, you know, the arrogance of Perfect, he, he, he works Luger over, gets him set off. Luger kicks out the shock on Perfect's face. He just, you know, what's going on here? Luger, you know, muscles up, nails some quick clotheslines. I've got a good Perfect finish for this one, Dave. Um, and and with, uh, with Perfect again trying to get, you know, like you talked about, Luger building back up. Uh, Perfect once again goes for the Perfect Plex, and Luger can pull the old Ric Flair and do the, the roll-up from there. Um, a good one, two, three. Uh, something that Perfect maybe wasn't ready for, but Luger can hold it because he's so strong. Yeah, I think that, I think that, would, that, would, uh, that would play and well. It would also play in the fact that Perfect is always thinking in the ring. So just because he's lost one kick-out doesn't mean he's not going to keep working for the win. I, you know, I think, you know, I think Luger, Luger has that strength to make that believable. So, you know, Luger, Luger manages to pull off this win, wins the, wins the, this battle of champions, and, uh, you know, the, the WCW have, have, have taken a lead. That's right, 2-1. to one, uh, In the thing that I look at, it's, it's two, um, two uh, or three guys, really, that are homegrown WCW guys with the Steiners and Luger, um, three guys that, you know, I'm saying we're going to push into the 90s and really be show, showcased marquee guys for us. Um, I think that it ends up being that way when when the when WCW's run is is you know run through. Um, but uh, definitely something interesting. Uh, and you know the WWF has got a got a rebound. Um, and what now, what better way to do that than with the next match? Yeah, I think I think what it would be really good after that after that match too is you, you might even you might even pop a post match interview in the back Luger, you know maybe Luger Luger talking up how how well they've done maybe even having the Steiners congratulating him you know that there's sort of you know, a bit of a hug in the background and and uh, you, you know, know the so big guy the big the guy would definitely be there at that point I think the world champion 
um, is in that scene as well. I think you have Sting there, and um, you have Luger and the Steiners, you know, telling Sting, like, hey, buddy, uh, you know, you, it, it's all riding on you. You know, we're, we're looking forward to what you can do and, and how you can keep WCW, uh, you know, rolling forward. Yeah, and probably this it also create a good opportunity. You could have Mean Gene pop on over, or maybe a Tony Schiavone pop on over, and and do that interview with Sting. And Sting can talk about how the camaraderie of these guys. You know, we're 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 all working together. We are, we know we know what we can do. And you know, you guys have you guys have already you know, your wins have have given me a lot of confidence, a lot of uh, a lot of in, you know, encouragement. I'm going to go out there and do my best, and you know, um, really sort of. Sting can sort of have his little little interview time there at that point as well. Oh, 100%. And um, I think that kicks us back out to our next match. And um, that is, of course, the World Tag Team Champions of the WCW with Teddy Long. That is Butch Reed and Ron Simmons, Doom. A very underrated team, I think. Um, a, very, a very good team that, you know, definitely um, should get a little bit more respect than what they were given. Um, and they are taking on the... Uh, World Tag Team Champions from the WWF, the Hart Foundation. Yeah, look, I, I agree with you. I think Doom are very underrated, especially at the end of 1990. They had a series of matches with Arn Anderson and Ric Flair that, I mean, those matches were were main eventing cards. They were they were really good matches. And, and they were uh, heel versus heel. That was the best part. I mean, those I know, were... and, and they made it work. Yeah, they were great. So, yeah, they were good, but you know they're going up against a team that I, I think I think at this point in 1990, Bret, Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart, they were I, I always thought they were they were quite possibly the best team in the industry at this point. They really had their act as baby faces down pat. Bret Hart, the the the, the technician who just had a counter for everything, getting ready to go solo. His interviews were working now. You had the anvil with the power. They always complemented each other. And, you know, that they are... I mean, I look at this this time period. I was thinking about this earlier today before we, before we started, um, started recording. And I was thinking to myself, you know, the Hart Foundation at that time, I think they were the best team around. But on top of that... Yeah, you know, there's a lot of talk. Yeah, you know, they really weren't given a lot to work with at that time because all the other top teams at this point were baby faces with yep. them. They had the Rockers, who they had the Saturday Night Main Event against, and you've got the Legion of Doom, and they were the really the other two top teams. Now, I'm not knocking Power and Glory, uh, but they were not at that level. Nope. And you know, Hearts were working with Rhythm Blues. I think they would have absolutely risen to this occasion. They would have loved the opportunity to go against a, a heel team that were over, that were good and solid. And this match, I think, this match could be the sleeper to actually be match of the night. Oh, yeah. I think all four of these guys would have worked off each other. Uh, Brett is going to be the face in peril. Um, I mean, he's going to look like he's getting just absolutely destroyed by Simmons and, and Reed to make a big tag to the Anvil. Um, yeah, Anvil, Anvil breaking up a lot of pin attempts. And yeah. you, know, you could even have, I think it'd be really good at this point to have Paulie or Bobby Heenan on commentary and going going on and on about the fact that, because if there's one thing the Hearts were always good at, they were, they were faces, but they were not afraid to break rules. You know, I remember, I remember a Bret Hart a near guy in the back, or yeah, you know, they'd interfere. You know, they were, they were always that team that they knew what they had to do to win, and they'd do it to the cheers of the fans. And I can see them doing that in this match as well. You know, 
gamble breaking up pin attempts and you know chasing chasing Butch Reed around the ring while Ron Simmons is able to you know take that opportunity to work over the the hitman a bit more and and you know Bobby Heenan on commentary talking up you know these guys are supposed to be you know professionals and play by the rules and they're not doing that and you know I think it'd be it'd make make for some for some good insight oh, I, I I just I'm I'm so excited about what that match could have been um, at that time. I think that, I mean, like you said, I think both teams rise to the occasion. And, and, and right now I think this is our match of the night um, with all four of those uh, personalities coming together. Um, I think and you I, really put it all together. I do, And I think, I think you also have an opportunity to play into the future for, for both these teams. Like you said, Hart takes a pounding. Um, in the end, makes the hot tag to to the to the anvil. Anvil comes in, matches powers with Reed and Simmons, and perhaps you could have something like a Simmons. He, he runs one of he runs Simmons into Reed. Reed goes flying through the ropes. Anvil hooks Ron Simmons for the heart attack. Brett comes off the ropes, hits him, pins him, and um, you could have that sort of. You could slay the early seeds for what ended up happening for Doom, the breakup that was going to come. You know, Bruce Reed a bit annoyed at what happened, but, you know, it's not a major issue at the moment. But, you know, a little bit of frustration. What happened there? We we, we, we missed something. There's some miscommunication. And, you know, Simmons is the one who gets pinned. And Reed's just a little bit annoyed, mm-hmm. but nothing that he's going to worry about at this point of time. Oh, no, they're still on top of the world. And um, I think Teddy Long can keep them under control, but it also sets the seed. So um, the Hart Foundation come back in a big way, uh, two to two as we head into our final uh, Parade of Champions contest. And that is, of course, with the world champions against one another. Um, I think this is a great time, obviously, like we talked about earlier, we're Sting. Uh, we pop back uh, to see the Ultimate Warrior uh, cutting a promo. That's what he does best. Um, so let's get him to cut a promo on, uh, you know, he's with Gene Okerlund and, and he's talking about this next contest with Sting. And, um, you know, we touched on it a little bit last year, um, because I believe we had these guys against one another in the Survivor Series match, but, um, now they are one-on-one world champion versus world champion. Um, how do you see this one, you know, really coming together for a matchup with two, supremely over baby faces um, and then being able to be worked into a way where we can get a finish? Well, I think, I think prior to, to prior to anything like that, I can see Jim Ross really reminding everyone, really telling that story that no one in the WWF ever told, which was the Sting and Warrior broke into the business together. They're long-time friends. They, they've risen to the top at the same time. They've won championships at the same time. You could even throw in that they probably talk to each other on the phone a lot and they're, and they're, they're good friends. Warrior comes in, he does his Warrior interview, he talks about you know reaching for the stars, how they both reach for the stars, but, but the, all the little Warriors are here and all the power from the heaven is now going to come down and it's, you know, it's now it's between the two of us and we're going to see and I'm going to I'm going to call on the power of the, the Warriors and the stars and the whatevers and rant on as he does to sort of say that. And I, I even think what would be what be a cool little thing to, to possibly throw in before we get to the matches 
crossing over to the man who's going to be challenging the Ultimate Warrior at the Royal Rumble for the WWF, which is Sergeant Slaughter. And, and Slaughter talking about how, you know, both of these men disgust him. You know, they, you know both of these men are, 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 are wimps and, you know, would never make it. And, you know, if he was if he was their trainer and their, and their drill sergeant and, and whatever it is, just sort of playing up that thing that here are these two baby-faced guys, but not everyone likes them. Absolutely. And, uh, um, and even talking about the the face paint and saying these guys paint their faces so they can hide in the crowd while I paint my face for war, um, you know, and really building up his toughness and, and what he's going to bring to the table and how he's going to keep a very keen eye on how this is all going to go down tonight. Um, yes. Yeah. So, I, I see this match. So when these, when these two get to the ring, yeah, they both come in, great cheers, and probably – you know, it's it's going to have that epic feel to start with. I think you know, probably eyeing each other off. Maybe maybe even a pre-match handshake off from Sting. He puts his hand out. He's he's a little bit more human than the Warrior. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but but the Warrior, the Sting always came off as a nice guy. The Warrior is a bit more of the Fruit Loop, and I could see Sting throwing his hand out pre-match, offering the handshake, may the best man win, and maybe Warrior takes the shake and then they drag each other in, you know, sort of, you know, trying to, who can, who's going to let go last sort of thing. And, you know, early stages there, you know, they're trying to get that advantage without getting anything on top. And and then I think it's going to be very back and forth. Sting will be on top for a while. Warrior will be on top for a while. No one really coming out as the, as the better man, uh, but certainly, you know, a very even contest. And I think that's probably, if we were to really look at the negotiation of this contest, um, <laughs> I don't think I think Sting's probably more apt to do business than the Warrior is. Um, but for the sake of our story tonight, um, the Warrior is the one that actually uh, you know gets played a fool. Um, our man Sergeant Slaughter um, starts to inch his way down to the ring, and he's got um, General Adnan with him. Um, I think at, at this point we see uh, Sting maybe. Uh, you know, getting in a lot of offense, setting up Warrior, starting to build to finish, but Warrior building his way back up. Um, and you could even see, you know, uh, Slaughter doing something while Warrior's building back up on the ropes. Um, Warrior just kind of losing his mind um, and, and, you know, and, you know, getting involved with, with him outside the ring. Um, you know, one way I like to look at it is even if Adnan and, and Slaughter are trying to hurt Sting outside the ring and Warrior just won't have it. Um, yeah, I think that's. I think what you could have is you could have the, the, the impression that, that Slaughter is scouting the Ultimate Warrior. And they've maybe even got a notepad and they're, and they're, they're you know, like a clipboard and they're taking notes and they're, they're conversing and you see a move hit and they converse. And then Warrior gets uh, some clotheslines going. At one point, he clotheslines Sting over the top rope right in front of Sergeant Slaughter. And Slaughter maybe takes a little kick, you know, sort of kicks him or picks him up and throws him back in the ring, sort of, don't be weak, get back in there or something like that. Warrior doesn't like that. And then... You could picture Warrior on the ropes, you know, starting to hit up and, you know, shaking the ropes as Stingers sort of, you know, trying to trying to beat him down on the Warriors comeback and and Slaughter gets his clipboard and smacks Warrior in the head, or or maybe Warriors bounced off those those ropes. He's hitting those clotheslines and as he comes off, Slaughter grabs the top rope and and Warrior tumbles to the outside. Yep, just something to to get the Warrior. 
upset, and um, we both agreed with this one. Uh, Warrior ends up, you know, chasing Slaughter um, around the ring and to the back where uh, General Adnan at this time actually has got the car waiting, um, and they're ready to go. Um, I think they they make 88 and out the gate while uh, the Warrior is sitting there looking like a fool in some ways, but um, he knows he's got a challenger in front of him. Uh, Inside the ring, we've got Sting, who... um, just jumped the WCW up three to two. Um, and I think you could, I could actually picture Sting here being a little disappointed at what's happened. You could, you could picture the referees, maybe the first couple of times the referee starts counting, the Sting tries to tell him, no, don't count, don't do it. Warrior keeps chasing Slaughter. And almost like Sting's going, get back in here, Warrior, let's finish this match. Yep. And, and, and Warrior keeps going to the back through the curtain. You can't see him. Um, only on the big screen showing that, you know, they're, they're going to a car and Sting's sort of shaking his head and the ref counts him out and, and Sting sort of has his hand raised, but the body language is, this is not what I wanted, this is not how I had it. You could maybe even have Warrior come back or Sting leave the ring and, and they find Warrior and they do, they do the shake of their hands and, and Sting even maybe saying something like, that's not what I wanted to have happen, I'm so sorry, you know, um, you know, you know, whatever you need, I'm here for you if you need me. Something like that to just sort of show that, yeah, the Honourable Sting does not appreciate what's happened and is not comfortable with that win. Oh, I agree. And and Ross, you know, saying, I don't think he wants it this way. I don't think this is what he wanted. Um, this isn't how he wants to win. Um, but, you know, regardless, it's it's three to two. Um <laughs> I think I think you could have Paul, you could have had Paulie dangerously as the guest color commentator on that one, and him going, "I don't care, we're in front now." Yeah, you know, just really putting it over to Monsoon, who who you know just runs Paulie dangerously through the through the ringer. You know, I thought that would always be an interesting dynamic because Paulie was so much more annoying than um, Bobby Heenan was. Um, Heenan was so much more entertaining in most ways, but I think that. Um, Paulie was a, an annoying entertainer that uh, Gorilla would have just loved to to have his way with um, on the commentary booth. That would have been great to hear. Yep, yep. Um, so at this point, um, Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon um, show a graphic on the screen, and we go through the rules for the Royal Rumble. Now, with this Royal Rumble, 15 men for each promotion were allowed to enter and they were drawn, they drew numbers at random. Now, Dave, do we want to run through the 15 on each team uh, and then go through? Does that work for you? Uh, Yeah, we can do that quickly. All right. So with the WCW, um, Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, Sid Vicious, Big Van Vader, Bobby Eaton, Ricky Morton, Michael Hayes, Jimmy Garvin, Brian Knobs, Jerry Sags, Tracy Smothers, Ellie Gante, Brian Pillman, Stan Hansen, and the Great Muda. Okay, and on the WWF side of things, uh, we've got, as we've heard earlier, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. We've got The Undertaker, Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal, The Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich, and The Big Boss Man, The Macho Man, Randy Savage, Jake the Snake Roberts, Haku, Haku, (laughs) and The Barbarian, uh, Earthquake, of course, one of the one of the pre-match favourites, uh, Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty, the British Bulldog, and Dusty Rhodes. Absolutely. Now, I just want to make sure. Did you catch the Texas Tornado? Did we say him? 
Yes. Okay, good. I just want I you were breezing through. I wanted to make sure that we covered him. Um let's talk about some guys that aren't in this match. Uh nobody really big for WCW. Um no Michael Wall Street, no Terry Taylor, no Tommy Rich. Over on the WWF, um some big names. Uh no Greg Valentine, no Honky Tonk Man. Um, no Sergeant Slaughter. No Sergeant Slaughter. And of course no Sato and Tanaka. Yes, well, uh, unfortunately, they uh, they just couldn't be quite fitted in there. And I guess before we get to this, uh, some notable names of individuals that are nowhere to be found in 1990 at this point. Um, one big one is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Another one is Ravishing Rick Rude. Um, you know, two guys who I think could have really changed the scope for um, either of these companies at this point. Um yeah, yeah, it's 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 that it's that funny time period. Obviously, as we've said, you know, we, we were sticking with the rosters that were available, and at this point, Root had just left the WWF, and uh, and I think um, Steamboat had just also just left the WWF. If I if I is that no is it no the time period just before he yeah. came back. He, yeah, so you know, it was it was a it was, you know time. I mean, Steamboat was in and out of places. That that eighty nine ninety period was a bit funny for him, but. You know, he, he he gets back into things in '91, and and it, you know, I'm looking it's, forward it's to having great. him in a year. I know that, um, <laughs> and I and I also know that uh, the one man gang, uh, Akeem, uh, nowhere to be found as well. Um, so some some big names, I think, some interesting characters that that could have fit, especially when we were going through this. So, um, Dave, the 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 way that we did this last time, you and I, when we went through a Royal Rumble, we we went through five names. And then we talked about some storylines, and uh, we kind of went through. So let's go through it uh, with that. Um, starting it off, picking number one, uh, beautiful Bobby Eaton. Number two, Shawn Michaels. Number three, Tracy Smothers. Number four, Michael P.S. Hayes. And number five is Haku. Yeah, look, I think I think this 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 starting section is really all about Bobby Eaton and Shawn Michaels. Uh, they they are going to be putting on a clinic at the beginning, uh, really really just hitting fast, hitting hard. Um, I think Tracy Smothers comes in, probably doesn't last very long. Uh, tries to, to to battle both men. Maybe maybe we get a double drop kick from Eaton and Michaels, and Smothers goes barreling to the outside. Michael Hayes comes in, he showboats and probably gets tossed as well. And then the arrival Haku probably is going to... There's your first change in, in the dynamic of, of what's going on. You've had four smaller guys come in and now here comes Haku. A bit more power, a bit more bulk. Maybe he starts to throw Eaton and Michaels around. But I think at this point, Eaton and Michaels are, are, are going to be in there. They're still going to be around. Um, Michaels maybe even... We can maybe even credit Shawn Michaels with the elimination of both Tracy Smothers and Michael Hayes at this point. Absolutely, and uh, number six is a very interesting, um, interesting one here. I love it. Um, at number six, we've got Arn Anderson. Uh, number seven, we've got the Texas Tornado. Number eight, we've got Jerry Sags. Number nine, we've got Marty Jannetty, and then number ten. We've got a guy who uh, is right on the verge of just tearing uh, the wrestling world apart, and that is Big Van Vader. Um, I think right off the bat, you have Arn Anderson come in, and he and Haku are former buddies. They were members of the Heenan family, and I think that we see a impromptu um, tag team Texas Tornado kind of encounter um, with uh, Michaels and Eaton kind of teaming up on Haku and Anderson. Um, I mean, what what a fun match that would be. 
Yeah, geez. and I think I, I really I could just see Anderson really. I mean, his spine buster has got to be the best one that's ever existed, and I could just see him laying both Michaels and Eaton out with spine busters. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, Haku kicking away, and I could even picture at this point, you know, like you said, Anderson and Haku worked together initially for maybe the first first minute minute and a half. Anderson lays out Michaels and Eaton both with a spine buster and turns around and starts trying to punch onto Haku. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think with some of the guys you got coming in, um, Texas Tornado, he can come in and do a little bit of work. He's got some issues with the Heenan family. Jerry Sags is kind of fodder um, that we want to keep around for a moment because we've got, to, we've got somebody that we need to look good here in a moment. Um, and Marty Jannetty coming in to team up with Shawn Michaels. Um, I think that's a, that's a fun dynamic. But really when Vader comes in, um, he can kind of clear some house for us. I think that Vader can take out the Texas Tornado. Vader can take out Jerry Sags, and Vader can even take out Bobby Eaton. Yeah, I think I think what I what I, what I picture happening is is you've probably got to, at some point you have Arn Anderson switch gears. He, he he started working with Haku, but then we we see the WCW versus WWF thing, and and he and Bobby Eaton start working together, and I just think that'd be really good as laying the seeds for what we know ends up happening in the future, where those two team for a while, and we know that they are in real life they were good friends. Yep. So I think that would create the thing, and you could even have you could have this point where you know maybe Sags is in the ring, whatever, and Shawn Michaels is on the brink. You know, Eaton and, and Anderson are trying to are trying to haul haul him over the ring. Maybe Sags is helping. Marty Jannetty comes in, and and, and now. Shawn Michaels has a part. The Rockers are in there together. They're drop kicking, they're clotheslining, crowd are cheering, and then out comes Vader. And I could just see him leveling both Rockers with one with clotheslines that send them through that three sixty. Mm-hmm. That you know they're always good. That that three sixty in the air, and then Vader starts laying waste. Would you? I. You know what? I actually like that idea. Would you? Would you mind him taking out the the uh, Rockers as well? I, th- I think that would that would fit perfectly. Yeah. I think I think he's he's big Vader. You know, he's a man who's about to to be taken to the next level. Um, he's got a big reputation in Japan. He hasn't been around in WCW very long, but uh, he has that size to just dominate all these little blokes. And yeah, I could see him tossing one after the other, and maybe Bobby Eaton on their tail as well. Yep. Um, so right now in the ring, we've got Haku, Arn Anderson, and Big Van Vader. Um, I would love to see Haku and Vader eye to eye for a moment um, and just see how, how that dynamic would uh, would unfold in the middle of the ring. Um, and I, and I, know, I know we've been doing in groups of five, but I just want to stop you for before you do a next group of five. I just want to bring in 11 before we do the yep, rest absolutely. because at 11, we've got Stan Hansen. And you bring Stan Hansen in with Big Van Vader, Arn Anderson, and Haku, and I can just see all the Japanese fans going wild. And mm-hmm. you could just have a period of time where those four just battle each other in a very tough man. I'm just going to, they're laying each other with stiff chops and stiff hits for just a couple of minutes. I think that would be a great spectacle as well. Well, and I think it really builds to uh, number 12, um, and, and that is the Earthquake. So we've got three bona fide super heavyweights coming in right in a row. Um, I think uh, with Hanson and Vader, you don't want to give either of them, or you don't want to take away from them too much. Um, and having a guy like Earthquake do a double elimination on both of those guys early on here, um, I, th- I don't think that hurts them in the long run. Um, 
I think they're able to uh, recover from that pretty easily because they're fighting all the way to the back anyways. Um, they're, they're tearing up ringside. Fans are screaming. Babies are crying. Um, women are holding their children back. Um, it's just pure chaos. And, and Jim Ross, you can you can pick Jim Ross talking about the fact that Vader and Hanson they they feuded in Japan. They they just seem to feud wherever they are. And so even though they're both on the WCW team, they these two were never going to get along. And nope. and that you know sort of plays into the fact that these two can just keep going. And uh, and it would be acceptable. It wouldn't you know you know Paulie or Bobby or someone else could be sitting there going, oh, I thought this was two companies for each other and. Yeah, maybe even Gorilla reminding them that, but look, it's still every man for himself. You can only have one winner in the end, and Vader and Hanson, that's always been their attitude. Let me win. Yep. Um, and I guess uh, we kind of didn't really discuss the stipulation. Obviously, this match would count in the best of seven series. Um, were we thinking about adding another stipulation to the Rumble? Um, I know we've talked about some money or maybe a title shot down the line. Well, I think we talked about the fact that there was a big, big prize money. Uh, I think we, we talked about perhaps you know, a quarter of a million, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the for the winner. Yeah. Um. So you know, certainly the prestige that comes that comes with it is going to is going to be quite up there. And you know, yeah. Um. And I think that that plays into it. Um. So let's keep this going here. I think um when we're looking at our list, thirteen and fourteen come out. Um, Jimmy Garvin and Ricky Morton, and I think they are just complete fodder for the Earthquake, who has single-handedly taken over this um, Royal Rumble. Um, both of those men aren't going to last too long. Yeah, and and I actually think what we are, and but at the same time, you've got Earthquake doing that. I think he's also got Haku and Arne Anderson. You know, they're trying to work on Earthquake, who keeps throwing them aside. New guys come in, Jimmy Garvin, Ricky Morton maybe come in, and Earthquake can toss them out of the ring. And you know, Haku and Anderson are teaming up at times, and then they're turning on each other at times as all, as all this is going on. But yeah. it really becomes the Earthquake show for a couple of minutes. Absolutely, and I think the tide turns with uh, I, I, the guys that we're having come in in just a second. I want to finish off number 15 because I do think that he is kind of a, a big arc here, and that's Jake the Snake Roberts. Um who is the ultimate babyface in peril when it comes to the three men who are in the ring um, against him. And um, I think you see everybody team up on Jake, but um, he's finding a way to fight back. And I could even see a guy like Haku getting eliminated by Jake somehow um, throughout all of this chaos. Yeah, I think we need to remember that storylines that exist at this time period. This is when Jake the Snake had his eye difficulties. He was wearing the two contact lenses up in you know in his in his battles with Rick Martel. So I think they could play up that, that Jake doesn't want to venture far from the ropes. So while guys he's getting beaten up a little bit, he's still being very cautious, very careful. He probably drops Haku with a with a um with a DDT at some point. Yep. And um, even the back body you know, drop over the ropes. Then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's sort of like you know he he's he's kicking away. He doesn't want to venture from the ropes. Arn Anderson comes in. He maybe maybe he maybe it's a backdrop on Haku. Maybe he hits a DDT on Arn. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still he's still got the the issues with Earthquake here. Earthquake is still going to be too big for him. But Roberts fighting off as best he can, not wanting to get away from the ropes. Haku goes over the top. Arn Anderson gets laid out with a DDT. The crowd are cheering, thinking, "What could happen here?" Maybe he even tries to drop an earthquake on, uh, drop a DDT on Earthquake, and just gets crunched into the corner. Yep, and and I don't mind him going out here um, because I do think that he serves a purpose. 
Um, and especially with the one eye, uh, you know that he's kind of facing um, facing some ad- adversity. And um, with what we have coming up here, um, it's it's going to be a very interesting dynamic um, with or without Jake the Snake. Yeah, I think I think I can see Snake might last another minute or two. Maybe not go quite out straight away, but certainly. He's not going to be around much longer with what's coming up. Oh, absolutely not. I think, um, if anything, uh, we hear the buzzer and we see number 16 walking out, and that's the point in which Jake the Snake gets eliminated. And um, right now in the ring, we've got Haku, or no, I'm sorry, we've got Arn Anderson and the Earthquake, and out comes number 16, and that is none other than Barry Windham, uh, another member of the Horsemen. Um, let's run through 16 through 20 here, and, and we'll break these things up as we talk about. 16 is Barry Windham. 17 is Davey Boy Smith from the WWF. 18 is Sid Vicious. 19 is Dusty Rhodes. And number 20 is Road Warrior Hawk. Um, so let's break it down right at the beginning. Two-on-one, Anderson and Windham against the Earthquake. Yeah, I, I think you could see Earthquake is sort of just as Barry Windham starts coming out, is maybe when Earthquake threat sends uh, Jake the Snake over, and Windham and Arn go straight on to Earthquake. Double team attacks, trying to double clothesline, Earthquake fighting back. The buzzer sounds, out comes Davy Boy Smith. He initially goes after the horseman, but then realizes how big Earthquake is. He starts taking on Earthquake. Then the buzzer sounds, and out comes Big Sid Vicious. And at this point, we've got three horsemen. Davy Boy, Vicious just walks in the ring, and I just see whether it be a big boot or a big clothesline, Davy Boy goes over the top. Yep. You've got three horsemen and Earthquake, and this is just too much. Big Sid is just more than Earthquake can handle. The three horsemen dump Earthquake over the top. You've got horsemen standing in the ring for maybe 20 or 30 seconds, they are showing everyone that they are a unit. And you could say, Jim Ross talking about how can anyone stand up? You've got the most powerful group in professional wrestling in the ring working together. You look at one of you, one of the winners of this match is in the ring right now. That I could see Jim Ross putting that over. Yep. Um, maybe maybe Gorilla sort of going, well, look, it's still every man for himself. And, and got Jim big names say, coming up still and... Yeah, oh, yeah, but the, Jim could just turn to him and say, but you don't get it, Gorilla. These, This is the horsemen. They, yep. they, this is all for one, and they are going to destroy everyone. Yep, and uh, who better to come out at number 19 when all of them are standing there than uh, the man who, who really revitalized his career against them, and that is Dusty Rhodes. Um, and yeah. he's, he's at the tail end of his career at this point, but um, I still think that he's got a lot to give. And I, and I could just, here it is, Jim Ross can, you know, D- Dusty comes out, Jim Ross talks about Dusty's history with the horseman and what he's done and, and who he is and the horseman just, he hits the ring and the horseman pound on him and maybe Dusty starts hitting his, his bionic elbows, but mate, they just start pounding. The buzzer goes, out comes Hawk, another old nemesis of the, of the horsemen. So you've got sort of in the ring, three horsemen and two former NWA guys who are now in the WWE. But the history they have with the Horsemen, the long-term fans would get it. The new fans would go, it's WWF versus WCW. The old fans are going, man, we're getting a brush from the past year. Exactly. And, and it goes on. And and now you've got – and I, I don't think anyone goes at this point. I think you've got all five men battling around, Hawk and Dusty trying to battle off the, 
the horsemen, the horsemen working together to try and work the other two. No, I think I think at this point is when we get our our men in the ring. We're going to get a, a plethora of guys at one point, and eliminations are going to come few and far between um, as we build or we crescendo to this big finish. Um, number twenty one, a guy that we saw earlier, the great Muta. Um, and, and of course, at this point. You know, Jim Ross and Gorilla start asking questions. What What's happened? We haven't seen DiBiase. Did DiBiase pay Mutaroff for a number? Yep. Um, we go to number 22, Brian Nobbs from the Nasty Boys. He's with the NW, or WCW at this point. Number 23 is a very controversial man uh, in wrestling at this point, and that is the Macho King Randy Savage. Um, coming out, waving the WWF flag in some ways, but really uh, a man on his own, you know, with his own agenda. Uh, number 24, we've got Flying Brian Pillman from WCW. Um, and then 25, we've got Animal from uh, the WWF. Um, so in the ring, we've got um, five, six, seven, eight guys, or nine, ten guys in the ring at this point. Um, how do you see uh, things shaping up here as, we've, as we head to the final five? And I think, uh, you know, one man in the final five we know is going to come in and he's going he's gonna to lay some heads. But um, a lot of fun action at this point. I think the arrival of Animal could be seen as the turning point. I think, you know, like you said, Muda comes in, he's working. Brian Nobbs comes in, he's in there to to beat up, get beaten up, but he's not going to do anything significant. Savage comes in, he starts laying waste to everyone, but it's not about throwing people out at this moment. Pillman comes in, quick hits like everyone else does, but when Animal arrives, I think he and Hawk work together, and I think this is the point where the Horsemen lose their first man. Whether it be Arn Anderson or Barry Windham, I think at this point, Hawk and Animal together eliminate one of the Horsemen. I think it's Barry. Um, At this time, Barry Windham was not in the best shape of his life, and I think Arn, we're making a big case for Arn to to last a long time. Yeah, so I think Hawk Hawk and Animal send... Barry Windham over the top, and maybe an immediate counter might be Arn Anderson flipping Hawk over the top rope, or Vin, or Big Sid just nailing him, and mm-hmm. he goes flying as well. So we get two very quick eliminations, yep. and maybe in the amongst the everything else, maybe Savage tosses Brian Nobbs out of the ring as well. A- actually, yeah, I would say of- I'd say Savage is going to toss Dusty um, to kind of put an end or a kibosh on that feud that they had um, going on. Yeah, oh, that that would work well. That would that would probably be a good fit too as well. Yeah, yeah. that would certainly. And, have, and the only yeah. reason I want to save Brian Nobbs is because um, at number twenty six we have the Undertaker, and the Undertaker is going to come in and he is going to get a quick elimination. And I think <laughs> that Brian Nobbs is the perfect guy for that. Yeah, I mean the Undertaker's. This is. All, all the fans have got to remember, this is The Undertaker has only just arrived. His first appearance was at Survivor Series a month or so earlier. So he is the new boy with the new gimmick, and I think they're going to want to play it up. He's going to come out, probably, like you said, knobs goes flying. Um, uh, maybe even at this point, um, you know, he, 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 we get one of those things that maybe The Undertaker even sort of sends Muta over the top rope, but Muta grabs onto the ropes, holds on, flips back in, does something that's going to get the crowd, wow, that was a, that was a great moment. You know, what they do with Kofi Kingston and yep. stuff these days, but well, Muda An- does that amazing yeah. non-elimination moment. Yeah, Animal is another one that is is almost out at this point too. He kind of served his purpose, um, but I think The Undertaker is tearing through people 
left and right. And um, this is a spot where we eliminate animals so that he can go face to face with um, Sid for a moment. Um, yeah, I, I think that would. There's your picture: Sid Vicious and the Undertaker, the former skyscrapers, standing eye to eye. Well, and we'll just correct you. I mean, I'm not correcting you, but they were never skyscrapers together. No, it oh, was yeah. uh, it was uh, Taker as Mark Callis replacing Sid. Yes, so, absolutely. You know, um, but it's certainly that picture would be great. Though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But the the fun part about that picture is that as they're looking eye to eye, out comes number twenty seven, and that is a guy who stands over both of them, and that's Eligante. Um, and I think that both Sid and uh, Undertaker know that it's better if they team up to get this guy out. Um, and Gigante doesn't have a very long run because of who he is, but I think he's a guy that, that ends up getting eliminated quite quickly, but the magnitude is it is of such that you're having the Undertaker and Sid Vicious together having to do it. Yeah, and I, I think I think maybe maybe another person the Undertaker might have eliminated could have been Arn. Oh, yeah. Just, just as Elegante comes out and you get that stare down because that leaves Sid on his own. Yep. Um, needing to find someone else to work with. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Sid and, and Undertaker then start to do battle. And um, like 1990, who's a great guy to come in when two powerhouses are against one another? And that's the Barbarian. Um, he comes in and uh, right now the WCW is dwindling. Um, there's only three men um, for that promotion left while the WWF has got Savage, Taker, Barbarian, uh, and then number 29, the big boss man. And then we have number 30, uh, and that is the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Like you and talk- if, right, yeah, go on. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, like you talked about earlier, we will be going with the storylines at the time. And at the time, there was no hotter storyline in the WWF than um, the big boss man and the Heenan family. So I can even see him and Barbarian um, tossing with one another and that ending up costing both of those men their shot in this contest. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree with that. I see the boss man and the Barbarian just, boss man can't help himself. He's in there, he's onto the Barbarian. They're battling, maybe even Heenan standing at ringside going, you know, come on, we're supposed to be, we need to eliminate, you know, we need to eliminate those other guys first. What are you doing? And and I could I could see Sid walking over and just dumping them both out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, and then, of course, you've got, you know, DBRC comes in at 30. Everyone knows he's spent the money. And maybe even he walks over and shakes hands with Muda and starts help, and helps Muda. Maybe, maybe at this point, Muda... Muda is about to be thrown out and, and not maybe not about to throw him. Maybe he's 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 battling with someone and DBRC comes over and helps him and, and they work together for a moment and Jim Ross starts going, What's happened here? Muda is with WCW. Yeah. Why is he helping the WWF? And he's a man on his own. That's the great thing about it. Um You know, Ross Ross and you know Gorilla can start talking about how, you know, DiBiase must have spent some money and you know, maybe he even spent more money than the prize money to, to try and win this event. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, DiBiase is, he knows that it's an investment, you know, $250,000 to him is chump change. Um, but it's something nice, uh, for him to have and, you know, to possibly earn a way to get that title shot down the line. Um, and I think we've got six men in the ring, uh, Savage, Taker and DiBiase for the WWF. Sid, Muda, and Brian Pillman for WCW. Um, 
the big thing is is Sid and the Undertaker. Where where do we end up with both of these guys? I think this is the time that the Undertaker goes. I think you know it's around this point. Like DBRC has brought the Undertaker in, so he's maybe trying to direct the Undertaker to do something. But Sid takes the opportunity to hit him with a pretty big clothesline. The Undertaker does his classic spot, lands on his feet on the floor. And um, and maybe at this point, the Undertaker's eyes roll back in the head and then he, he grabs, he reaches up and he grabs Sid by the arm or he grabs Sid yeah. by the... By the, by the tights. He does something that's going to stop or distract Sid for a minute and open him up to be eliminated. And that would be a perfect spot for Brian Pillman to come uh, with a drop kick and, and take out the big guy. That's the story of his career is being able to overcome those odds. And um, I think that's a perfect opportunity for Pillman to get some revenge on the horseman who um, he was feuding with very heavily at this time. And, and that would create a really good little fallback for what we know happens a couple of months later when Sid nearly ends Pillman's career inside the War Games cage. They could play up on the fact you could play up on the fact that, well, he, he's got frustration from being eliminated at this event and, and so, you know, bang, he, he takes it out on Pillman and in the war games a couple of months later. Yep. Um so we've got our final four, Muda, Savage, Pillman, and DiBiase. Um if, if I run through this final four here, let me know if there's anything that, that we'd like to do differently. But um, I think this is where we have Muda show that it really is every man for himself. And, um, you know, Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon say DiBiase is all about the green. Well, this is the moment in which Muda um, gives DiBiase the green back when he gives him the green mist, um, covers DiBiase's face. Um, but I think this is a chance for Savage then to come and eliminate Muda when he's not paying attention. Um, so, you know, DiBiase is covered in green, um, Muda's gone, it's down to Savage, Pillman, and DiBiase, um, we get a, a great showcase between Savage and Pillman, while DiBiase gets back up, um, he teams up with Savage, which we know that they ended up doing, uh, multiple times, they start to beat up on Pillman, who, uh, makes it look as though his life is about to end in the middle of the ring, um, we, we run through a couple of quick spots with these guys. Pillman looks like he's going to get eliminated, but um, does everything he can to, to stay in. Um, we see uh, DiBiase and Savage go for a double elimination, but Pillman kind of stops his feet. Uh, Savage goes one way. DiBiase ends up getting tossed um, over the top rope. Um, Savage then comes, and he gets a quick one on Pillman, sends him over the top to the apron. Savage thinks that he's won. Uh, we see Pillman come uh, up off the top rope and hit Air Pillman, which we know is not going to do anything. He's got to get Savage over the top rope. Um, he looks to, to work the crowd just a moment too long, and Savage, the wily veteran that he is, um, ends up turning the tide and uh, sending Pillman out. And uh, our winner is the Macho King, Randy Savage, $250,000 richer and a man who uh, knows that he's got some big stuff in front of him. And and the, and the launch pad for his desire to get a shot at the Ultimate Warrior. I, I've won this this thing. I, I've, I've proven I, I'm better than everyone. And, you know, you know, you know, Ultimate Warrior, I want my match. You know, I want that match. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's cutting a scathing promo afterwards. Um, 
I think he's a guy that, that you give the microphone to and say, tell us what you want to say. And he just runs the ultimate warrior to the ground. And he even calls out Sting and says, you know, I'll, I'll take your title from you. I'll take the title from him. I'll take the title from anybody. And uh, really just destroys, um, you know, uh, the champions and say, I'm the real man. I'm the one that beat 29 guys from each promotion. I, I'm the true champion of, of the world of wrestling. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and it really comes off, it really comes off almost semi shoot too, which, you know, Savage can do. He, he gets that crazy look in his eyes and, you know, no one wants to argue with him. And, 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 and we've, we've, we're back again. We're tied again, three all. And, and what a main event. Um, I think everybody takes a moment to uh, to rest and get a get something to eat, take a piss, and then uh, we come back for the match of the decade. For the WCW, we have the Nature Boy Ric Flair, and for the WWF, we have the one, the only, the immortal Hulk Hogan. And I'm just picturing after the rumble, you know, they, they cross to the back and we get those those interviews that you know you're going to get. Flair talking about his legacy, who he is, the greatest wrestler around. Hogan talking about all the Hulkamaniacs have been on his side for years. And I'm the man that, you know, that personifies professional wrestling. And all I've ever heard about is people you know, wanting to know what would happen when I meet Ric Flair in the ring. Well, today it's going to happen, and I'm going to show all the I'm going to you know all the Hulkamaniacs. I'm not going to let you down, and and you know Flair is going on about how he'll do whatever it takes to win. Oh, absolutely, and uh, the Horsemen are maybe with Flair in the back, and and Hogan is a man alone, and and for all intents and purposes, and um, oh gosh, I just see this one being um, you know, everything that we hoped it would be. Um, we, we had an hour long matchup with, um, the Royal Rumble. Do, how long do you see this one really going? I, I think, I think to be, to be, to be fair to both, to, to both competitors, the reality is this match probably to, to make sure it doesn't, Hogan doesn't look like a total out of his league situation. I think this match can only go about 20 at the most. Um, I think I think if you go too much beyond that, Hogan's going to start to to look like he's struggling, and um, you know, and and it, it makes it more difficult to to bear up. I mean, Hogan's Hogan doesn't do 30, 40 minute matches, and and I don't think they should they should push it. Flair can do a good match with Hogan in twenty minutes. Oh, absolutely. Um, and Ross and Gorilla are by themselves for this one. They're putting this one over in the biggest way, talking about how these two men are the um, the real cornerstones for each promotion and, and the team captains for all intents and purposes. They put over how they met uh, the previous year in the war games um, and how uh, you know the WWF triumphed and it all comes down to this. Can Hogan do it? And um, so here we go. Uh, with the match, we obviously see Flair working over the knee, um, you know, really trying to tear Hulk Hogan apart. Um, I think that um, we obviously, at that 19 or 20-minute mark, we see Hulk Hogan do the Hulk up. He he kicks away from the... Um, the I think I think he's I think he's he's in the figure four, yep. and he starts the Hulk up while he's in the figure four. And he just he maybe he even pulls Flair's leg off, gets to a knee, and then starts to build up. And Flair just has no clue what to do. Um, he starts to hit, hit, hit. Hogan hits back, hits back, hits back. 
throws him to the, the ropes, hits the boot, goes for the leg drop, one, two, and then all of a sudden, the referee gets pulled out of the ring. What the hell happened? Well, the horsemen are here. Ole Anderson has brought out um, Barry, Arn, and Sid, and they're doing anything they can to stop um, what's going on. Uh, you know, then all of a sudden, out of the back, um, an astonishing thing, we see the two world champions, Sting and the Ultimate Warrior, together come out and start to fight away the horsemen. Could you yeah, imagine the, the scene? Oh, the crowd would be off the, I, I think, you know, the horsemen are there. Maybe the referee sort of shoves the horsemen, like, you know, what are you doing here? He doesn't want to call for the DQ, but, you know, and then, you know, the crowd just erupt. Maybe maybe it's Warrior out first, but just behind him is Sting. You have that sort of that eruption that goes to the next level because the crowd realise what's happening. Here are the two champions, the former, former partners long ago, coming out to help Hogan. The crowd are just electric. Warrior and Sting are battling with all of the horsemen on the outside. Hogan... Hogan is, look, the referee has got no idea what's going on. Hogan has had his momentum broken. He's, he's looking at what's going on, and Flair sees his chance. Oh, and uh, that's where we get a roll-up with a handful of tights. We see that Hulk Hogan bottom because Flair is doing everything he can to hold him down. One, two, three. Um, Ric Flair with a very, very cheap, dirty Nasty win that culminates a victory for the WCW, but um, I think it's tainted in some ways. Um, but I think that in the end, we end up seeing Hogan, Sting, and Warrior cleaning house. Um, I, I, I can picture. I can picture. On the outside, like Flair's got his cheap win, he's standing in the ring with with the, you know the crowd cheering. But on by this point, on the outside. Warrior and Sting have have sent the other horsemen packing, and then and and Flair doesn't realise it. Maybe he's standing up on the turnbuckles, sort of. You know, I did it. I beat Hogan. Who would have known? Hogan's like frustrated. He's looking. He's got that shock look on his face. What's happened? Maybe he's trying to tell the ref that you know he had a handful of my tights. But as, as Flair gets off the turnbuckle and turns around, he finds himself surrounded by Warrior, Sting, and Hogan. Oh yeah, and and then from there it's elementary. We get a stinger splash, we get a um, we get a, a press slam, and then we get a leg drop. Um, they roll him out of the ring and pose to the crowd. And and we see camaraderie, we see all of it just come together, um, just greatness. Um, Chicago is going nuts. Um, the NWA WCW um, has come back, and we are now tied up one to one with the conglomerate that is the World Wrestling Federation. And as we head into the year 1991, we will see some very, very, very interesting changes. Um, I mean, just look at what the rosters look like a year from now. And I, it's going to be a whole new ball game. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's just amazing how much... I mean, even... even from last year to even from 89 to 90, there was a lot of change. But the difference but at the end of 1991 to 1990 for both, both companies is astonishing, especially when you've got a couple of key players 
playing for the other side. Absolutely. Um, Dave, uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. It's been a pleasure um, going through the Summit 1990 with you. Let me run through the quick results one more time. Uh, Rick Martell defeated Tom Zink. The Steiner Brothers defeated Power and Glory. Lex Luger defeated Mr. Perfect. The Hart Foundation defeated Doom. Sting defeated the Ultimate Warrior. Randy Savage won the Royal Rumble. And then Ric Flair defeated Hulk Hogan to give WCW the three um, or the four to three victory in this uh, Summit 1990 live from Chicago, Illinois on Christmas night. Um, any closing words as we head into the year 1991 and, and we look forward to what the Summit is going to look like next year? Oh, look, I think, um, I think it's always fun to, to, to consider what might have happened here, as we said before. And I, I'm just picturing... I'm just picturing, you know, you've just had WCW beat WWF and yet at the end of the card we've got Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior posing in the ring with Sting. I just think, I just find that quite funny. I just think the, 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 the recognition in the end that it's still, it's still about the guys in the ring. It's still about the matches that are put on and, um, who, who they work for in the end. That just, that just gives us a framework for, for having a bit of fun. But in the end, the matches, the characters, that's what draws us all in as fans. Uh-oh, and that's what keeps us talking about it um, 24, 25, 26 years later. I mean, that's that's the exciting thing about it. So, um, Dave, we're going to wrap up. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been another great episode of the Low Blow Booking Podcast. Check us out on Podbean and iTunes. Uh, give us a like. Give us a share. Um, we are on Facebook. Give us, uh, you know, join the group. Let us know what you think. And uh, uh, we're going to continue to come at you with some great, great uh uh, products, some great, great quality booking, rebooking, looking at different angles. Um, and I think that even when we've talked here tonight, we've got a couple of things on the hopper that are going to be interesting. If, uh, you know, when we get Martin Casals to come on, um, some of the other angles that you and I have talked about, um, of course, we have the big one, the invasion. At some point, we're going to be tackling that one. Patrick Fenton and I are still going to be finishing up our rebooking 1992 uh, with the, the trades. And, um, you know, Dave, you and I have got uh, gone through a couple of different things uh, looking at what if Bret Hart stayed in the WWF? What if CM Punk was handled correctly in 2011? And even tonight, what if we redid the Ultimate Warriors world title run? What would it look like? Um, we're going to be coming at you guys fast, uh, fast and loose here in the next couple of months. And I'm looking forward to what we have. No, it's, it's really exciting. I mean, it, it, it's, it's always fun to do this sort of stuff. And, uh, I think some of the stuff we've got on the horizon is going to make for some very interesting conversations. And look, you know, in the end, I mean, this is also about, you know, if you're listening and, you know, you, you've got a thought, you know, chime in, you know, let us know what you think, you know. We're, we're just we're just two big fans who love thinking about and talking about wrestling. But in the end, we're not the, ex, we're not the, the only opinions that matter and you know, we might put forward an idea there might be someone out there who who thinks gee I, I that's not how i would have booked you know flair to beat hogan or that's not how i would have had a a, a sting versus ultimate warrior match to go and that's what's always fun about this sort of stuff absolutely and uh you know i always look forward to some of our, our real uh loyal listeners and and looking to get them on the show i know ben iverson and i have talked about some different ideas um, of course, Patrick Fenton has joined us. Jeffrey Jalka has joined us. Um, and Scott Criscola has also been on. And, uh, Dave, it's going to be a really exciting ride here um, coming up in the summer months for, for me. And um, I'm looking forward to it. So I bid you adieu. Have a great uh, rest of the day over in Australia. And I'm going to have a great Friday night. 
You enjoy it. Thanks, Mike. All right. We'll see you.